0: So I'm excited about the space we have together to just enjoy the Word of God. I want to look at John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 this morning. So we're going to look at this story of Jesus in the wedding at Cana. So if you've got a Bible app or Bible, feel free to pull that out. If not, I'll read it for you. So don't feel afraid. We will all be fine together. It'll be great. But as we do this, let's just pray together as we start. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your invitation to pursue you for more. We thank you, Lord, that you know each of us perfectly and intimately. You know, the spaces where we are wrestling and struggling, the hurts that we carry into this morning for ourselves and for those around us. And so we ask, Jesus, that by your grace and for your glory that you would meet us in those spaces this morning. You give us the capacity to open ourselves up before you, to delight in your goodness and to receive more of your presence. We thank you for being with us today. We just want to offer this time to you, pray you would use it in whatever way you determine and desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning I think it's just great for us to have the chance to walk through this passage together. And so we start off this passage it says, On the third day a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And again, this is an interesting scene because it's it's life giving, it's beautiful. It's a young couple who love each other, care for each other. They're starting off their journey together. A wedding is always this beautiful celebration of all the things that just feel good and delightful and happy. But something is going terribly wrong, they've run out of wine. And again, in our culture, this probably wouldn't really be that big of a deal. It'd probably be a minor inconvenience, although for some of you, you're thinking if they ran out of wine, this would be a really big deal for the crew that I run with. But we won't talk about that too much because this is church. Um, And so, uh, but in the culture of that time, this would have been a really, really big deal. They're a hospitality culture, and the ability to care for and meet the needs of the guests is a really important and significant thing. And so, at a wedding in particular, if you ran out of wine, it would seem to be a terrible reflection on your family, it would be humiliating, it would be awful, if you couldn't provide for and care for the guests that you'd invite into this space. Also, it would have been kind of like a shadow cast upon the marriage of this couple, that somehow there's something inadequate in their love together or their relationship. But the funny thing about the culture at this time is if you went to a wedding and they ran out of wine, you could actually sue the couple for not giving you everything that you needed at the wedding. It was kind of like this legal contract that there needed to be enough wine at a wedding. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine going to a wedding and they run out of a beverage and you're like, that is it. I'm suing and walking out of the room. It would be crazy. And I think if we were in that situation, we'd probably think a little more critically and carefully about who we chose to invite to the wedding. We'd all be like, there's no way Aunt Bertha's coming, because she's just the type who would sue. Let's not invite her, let's move off, let's keep on going from there. But this is a really big deal. Disaster is about to descend upon this couple on what's supposed to be the happiest, one of the happiest days of their life and their experience together. As I think about this, I wonder what happened to this couple. I wonder if as they were preparing for their wedding, if they thought, we can't really afford all of the wine that we need, but let's just do it anyway. Let's run the risk. Let's invite the people who we think we'd love to have there, and let's just run the risk and just hope and pray that everyone is temperate and that we have everything that we need to get the whole way through the party. Or I wonder if on the other hand, they thought, oh yeah, we're totally prepared. We have everything in hand. Everything is good to go until it just really wasn't. And have you ever had that sinking feeling? That moment where you just realize that everything that you have is just not enough? Again, I think I often had that experience during math class where I'd realize, what I have is just not enough, this is not going to go well. But I think that for many of us, we go through life with some of this feeling. Again, maybe you race through most of the days that you have, feeling that what you have is just not enough. And if you're honest with yourself and the people around you, you know that you couldn't maintain the pace that you're currently running indefinitely. You realize that at some point in time, you are going to run out of gas. And every now and then you make comments, maybe to your spouse, or to friends, or to people around you, and you say to them, I'm just so tired, I don't know how we can continue to do this. And you realize that you don't have what it takes, but you just have to keep going anyway. And for some of us, there's spaces in our lives where we're hiding things. There's areas of sin or destructive habits in our life or our experience. And we could just go through every day hiding these things, but somehow deep inside, we feel a sense of fear and uncertainty uncertainty that someday this is going to blow up. Someday this is going to come out, and we're not sure what's going to happen. We're afraid of feeling humiliated or degraded or other people not loving us or pushing us aside if they really knew the truth of who we were. And when we live like this, there's this deep sense of fear. There's this unsettled sense about our experience. Because maybe, like this couple, you go through every day feeling like, I just have to run the risk. I just have to keep going. Or maybe, on the other hand, you're like, perhaps this couple was, and you feel like you have everything all together. You are smart, you're intellectual, you've planned really well, you've thought everything through, you have everything set from point A to point B, and you know exactly how life is going to go until there's that inevitable moment when there's a crisis in your marriage, or there's a crisis in your family, till you receive that particular diagnosis, or till something happens that you couldn't possibly have imagined. I think that for so many of us, we thought we had everything fully put together, and then the last two years has thrown so much uncertainty into the midst of our world, our view, our experience, we were not prepared for the sense of isolation that would come, that, was, that would be followed by so much strain and anger and bitterness and frustration in relationships that we love so much. We were simply unprepared. And the truth of the matter is that in my life and in your life, at some particular point in time, every single one of us will come to the place where we realize that what we have is just not enough. And when we hit that point, this is deeply terrifying for us, because we've built a life around a particular belief that we can make things happen. Maybe we have relied on our good looks or on our money or on our ability to talk our way out of any situation. Maybe we have relied on the fact that everything just seems to go our way or we can really make people like us. Whatever it may be that we have relied on at some particular point in time, that thing runs out. And when we find that what is within us is not enough, what do we choose to do with that? Again, for some of us, when this happens, we give in to a profound sense of fear, a crippling fear that we don't know how to move forward with. For others of us, we choose to self-medicate through some particular substance, or what we watch online, or shopping, or eating, or whatever it might possibly be, because we need to find some particular way to make us feel whole. But I love what Mary did in this passage. Mary looked at this couple, and it was supposed to be the happiest day of their life, and when disaster was about to descend on them, she just went straight to Jesus, and she said, Jesus, there is no more wine. Jesus, this is about to become a disaster. And Jesus' response to her is fascinating. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And so they filled them all the way up to the brim. Again, in the space of uncertainty, when they realize that what they have is just not enough, Mary goes straight to Jesus and she says, Jesus, this is a problem. And Jesus' response is interesting. Jesus pretends like this has nothing to do with him. But Mary knows the heart of Jesus really well. She knows the depth of his love, the fullness of his compassion. She knows that he will not let this couple go through this experience in the way that it looks like it's going to play out. And you can almost hear the giddiness in Mary's voice. I can see her going with a twinkle in her eye and maybe a slight skip in her step. She goes straight to the servants and she says to them, Do whatever he tells you to do because she knows this is going to be amazing. And then she just sits back and watches it all play out because she's so fully confident in Jesus, his love, his character, and what she knows he's about to do. And when I read this passage, I wonder do we approach Jesus with the same level of confidence? in the spaces in my life and the spaces in your life, where we come up against it, when we realize that what we have is just not enough, is our immediate response to go directly to Jesus with a kind of certainty, because we know Jesus' heart, because we know the depth of his love for us, the fullness of his compassion, because we know that he sees us and knows us and is fully present with us. Or maybe for many of us, we've been through some hard spaces, and there's been some significant moments of disappointment, And maybe we're not really sure that we trust Jesus. We're not really sure that he would fully come through for us. And so when we come to Jesus and talk to him about these things, there's not a whole lot of confidence because we're not really sure of his character. And so Jesus immediately steps into action. He tells the servants to start filling the water jars and to fill them, they go and they engage in this activity, filling them all the way up to the brim because Jesus wants these servants to be a part of the thing that he's about to do. And can you imagine what this must have been like for the servants? Everyone is starting to get stressed out because everyone knows that at any particular moment in time, the guests are going to realize that the wine has run out, disaster will descend on this family, and some Aunt Bertha over there is going to sue. And everyone's getting more and more tense and more and more stressed. And Jesus is saying to the servants, I want you to go out into the courtyard, start drawing water from the well, and pour it into these jars that are used for ceremonial washing. No one can imagine how on earth is this going to make any difference at all to this particular situation. But they do it. I imagine for some of them they must have been terrified. What if the master walks out and he's stressed and he's frustrated and he's angry and he sees that we're not looking after the guests at all to try and appease them. We're all out here pulling water out of the well and pouring it into jars. He's going to be so mad. And I wonder what it was that they saw in Jesus that convinced them that they should do whatever he asked them to do, even at the risk of displeasing their master. And then Jesus upped the ante even more. Then Jesus told them, now draw some of the water, take it out, and bring it to the master of the banquet. Let's just pause there for a minute. Imagine with me you're one of these servants. You've just spent the last, who knows, 20 minutes, half an hour, drawing water out of a well, carrying it over and pouring it into jars. You know this is water. And Jesus says to you, I want you to take this and go to the master of the banquet who right now is very stressed out and is expecting wine or something to happen, and you're about to bring him a cup of water that you know is water because you're the one who pulled it out of the well. And Jesus asks them to take a significant risk. To step out, to choose to trust him, and to believe him, and just to do whatever it is that he asks him to do. I think Jesus does this in our lives over and over and over again. There's so many spaces where he calls us to do something that doesn't look like it's going to be enough. We think about the problems that we talked about a little bit earlier, maybe that frantic level of our schedule where we we run run and run and run and run and run and we feel like we are so empty because life is so overwhelmingly full. And we feel the sense of guilt deep inside every time that someone mentions a devotional life because we realize we're putting Jesus off all of the time. And Jesus says to us, I know you're busy, but I'm asking you for some of your time. And to us, that might just feel like one more thing that God is calling us to do. But when we choose to take him at his word and sit and live in the presence of Jesus, there's a sense of peace there. There's a sense of life there. In our quiet moments with Jesus, we gain the capacity to tackle all of the hardship and the intensity of what the day is going to bring. And maybe in the presence of Jesus, he'll speak to us about our priorities. Maybe he'll help us to recognize that some of the things that we are doing aren't really very helpful, and we're doing them to try and please or appease the people around us when maybe we just need to step back and trust him that he's enough. Or maybe in those particular situations where we're wrestling with a sin that's hidden deep down on the inside, Jesus, certainly in my case, always says to me, you need to go and talk to someone else about this. And that seems terrifying. That seems inadequate. That seems like, how is this going to make things any better? I already feel ashamed of what's going on. But as we take that risk and take Jesus at his word, the shame and the fear that we feel around what's going on inside just breaks. And there's a different kind of peace. There's a different kind of confidence. We now have someone else who can pray for us and walk with us towards the journey of healing and freedom for the things that Jesus wants to do in our souls. But sometimes what Jesus asks us to do seems just small and insignificant. I remember a young couple num- a number of years ago uh, who were wrestling with infertility. And they didn't really know what to do. They'd been navigating a whole bunch of different things along that journey. But they just said, well, the scripture says that we should go and ask the elders to pray for us. And they're like, it doesn't seem like it's enough but let's give it a try. And so they came and they said, would you pray for us? And so we took some time, we prayed for them, we asked Jesus' blessing over them, and now a number of years later, they have three beautiful children. Because what seemed like it wasn't going to be enough, they just chose to take Jesus at his word and to step out and to see what it was that Jesus wanted to produce in them. The interesting thing is that when Jesus calls us to follow him, there is almost always an element of risk involved. But the risk is really worth it. You see, we see in this passage that Jesus responds to this, this particular situation in a way that is really abundant. The servants go, they go to the master of the banquet, they present to him this cup that they know is certainly to be water, and we read, they did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then they called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings the choice wine out first, and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. You see, in this situation, Jesus does what this couple never, ever could have done. Jesus protects them. He provides them. He gives them everything that they need to experience this wedding in a way that they will flourish and in a space where they will thrive. And it's interesting to think about because they have filled these huge jars with water all the way up to the top, and every single one of them has 20 to 30 gallons worth of wine. This is a lot of wine. Again, this certainly could have enabled this party to go on for the fullness of however long this party went on for, but scholars will also tell us that it would have had a significant amount of wine left over. They will tell us that there would have been enough wine left over for 448 days worth of wages. And again, this is in a time and a space where almost everyone lived day to day. You would work today so that you would have enough food so that you would be able to eat tomorrow. And Jesus blesses this couple with not only the fullness of their wedding celebration, but with an economic reality that they could live for over a year just for free. Just selling the rest of the wine that was left over. And again, we love it when Jesus does this. This is a part of what Jesus so often does in our lives. As we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't have what it takes. The situation for me is significantly beyond my control. And as we come to him and offer it to him and follow through on the things he's inviting us into, there are so many beautiful moments like this where the presence of God breaks in in beauty and glory and in power, where we see him stretch out his hand to heal, where we see spaces where things that we have struggled with for a very long time simply come to an end where he brings peace and sanity to our souls, or maybe to our schedules, or to our relationships. And we love it when Jesus moves in this way. And there's also times when we come into the presence of Jesus and we say to him, Lord, I just do not have enough. And he invites us into a journey with him. And our circumstances stay exactly the same. But Jesus breathes into us a sense of peace, or an element of his strength, or an ongoing sense of his presence to empower us to walk through whatever the painful season may possibly look like. But whether Jesus comes in glory and miraculous power, or whether he comes just in capacity and strength to walk through the season, either way we get more of Jesus. And that's really the ultimate point of the story. The passage ends with this verse. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Again, Jesus is blessing this couple, he's protecting this couple, he's looking after this couple and their family, but also all of his disciples around and all of us here today still get to know more of Jesus through, the, through the, our understanding of this experience. We get to see the tenderness of Jesus' heart, that he wasn't willing to let this family go through this on their own. We see the strength of his power to molecularly change water into wine. We see the gift that he invites us in to follow him, to play an active role in the things that he is doing redemptively in the world around us because he loves to do ministry with us. And the truth of the matter is that in my life and in your life, every single one of us will come to a point where we realize that what we have is just not enough. I've come to these spaces so many times. And whether the experiences are things of our own choosing or the circumstances that life simply throws our way, whether we realize that they're coming because we can feel the sense that what we have is not enough for a long time, or whether we think we've got life all figured out and then suddenly something comes crashing upon us, whatever these circumstances may be, Jesus invites us to simply come to him and say, Jesus, I don't have any more wine. Jesus, I don't have any more strength. Jesus, I don't have any more money. Jesus, I don't have any more health. Jesus, I don't have any more capacity. Jesus, I don't have any more ability to continue to move forward. Jesus, I don't know how to continue to walk through the life that you have called me to walk. And as we do this, he invites us along a journey where he calls us to simply do everything that he is asking us to do. And as we do this, we get to experience the goodness and the glory of God the glory of God that will appear to us in the gentle sense of Jesus' strength being poured into our souls to empower us to walk through a season that will be hard and painful, or we get to see the goodness and the glory of God burst forth in a miraculous shift in the circumstances around us. But either way, we get more of Jesus. And I think for so many of us, we've come into this space today and we're not really sure where we're at. Again, for some of us, we are doing fine, but we recognize there's people around us who are deeply wounded and profoundly struggling. For some of you today, you've walked into this room, and the emotion is so close that if someone says the right three words, you would just burst into tears because the pain is so raw. Some of us have gotten hard and cold and bitter because life has just been hard. And today, I don't want us to just hear this passage, I want us to embrace Jesus in the spaces where we recognize for ourselves or those we love that we just don't have enough. And so what I want you to do right now is just take a minute. Let's just take a couple seconds right here, I've still got time on the clock, I can tell. Uh, So let's just take a minute, and let's just ask Jesus, just say, Jesus, this is where I don't have enough. And just be honest with him. Talk to him about how weary you are, how frustrated you are, how unsure you are of how things are going for you or for someone in your life around you. Just take a few minutes and just talk to him about that. And I'll just lead us on from there. I know this is hard for some of us, but with whatever you've got inside, I want you to go to Jesus with as much anticipation as you possibly can and say, Jesus, would you come and would you work in this particular situation? And just invite him in to do whatever it is that he chooses to do. And then just ask him, Lord, is there a part that you're asking me to play? What does it mean for you to do everything that he's asking you to do along this journey? Father, we thank you for your tenderness and your compassion. We thank you, Lord, that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see your love and your mercy on display. We thank you, Lord, that in the resurrection of Christ, we see your power to overcome all that is dark and broken and wicked and evil, decimated and destroyed. Would you give us hope? Would you give us peace? Would you give us strength and capacity to trust you, to believe you, and to pursue you in all of the spaces where what we have is simply not enough? Would you empower us to faithfully do whatever part you are entrusting us to play? Give us strength. And in the moments where it feels so risky, would you help us to trust your character? But we ask for these things because we desperately need you, and we need you in the lives of the people around us. But even more than this, Jesus, we want to know you. We want to see your heart. We want to see your hands move in our life and in our experience. We want to delight in the goodness of who you are. And so, Lord, would you come and would you do what you and you alone can do? In Jesus' name, amen.